up call. This is Wake Up Call. Another kind of daytime radio program. program. On the Sports Map Radio Network. All right. All right. Let's do this. Alongside Ron Culver, here's Tony D. Okay, Thursday night football. we got to have a little conversation about this tonight because it's not a good one at all. It's the Carolina Panthers at 1-7. and seven. It's the Chicago Bears at 2-7. and seven. There really isn't much here. You know what? They did make really fun news uh, in the offseason. You know, Carolina went to the Bears and said, hey, what would it take to get that number one pick? And then Carolina was like, we'll give you the, here's DJ Moore. You want that? And they're like, yeah, want to do some other stuff? Great. We want, we want Bryce Young. They did get Bryce Young. And they're one in seven, and Young's not playing particularly well his rookie season. But the Bears, who have Justin Fields, and this was supposed to be a year in which you saw maybe a better Bears team, maybe not a nine and eight team, but maybe six wins would have been a, a step in the right direction. But instead, they're two and seven, and Justin Fields doesn't play. He's got that sprained thumb, and Tyson Baggett is again going to play tonight. It's a bad game for national television. Now, I've gone back and forth with this over the years. Every now and then, we get a really atrocious football game on Thursday night. Everybody in the NFL has to play on primetime. So, so is it better for, would it be better for the viewing audience who are going to watch, you know, maybe they'll watch because it's football. What else? But is it better for them to get two really bad teams and kill two birds with one stone, to use a phrase? Or is it better if Carolina were to play, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys on a Thursday night game? And you're like, okay, we took care of Carolina. And then the Bears, because the Bears are going to be on national TV anyway, they already, they already were. I think there was an, um, a, a Sunday night game they were already on. So even if it was like Arizona or whatever, would you, would you be in a position where you want both of these to play one time or separate them and play against good teams? Well, there's two arguments to be made of that. One is that, yeah, we all take the medicine on this one. It's probably not going to be a good game, but maybe it'll be a competitive game. But it's not a game that matters to the overall scheme of things when it, when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to um, opponents making the postseason and whatnot. It does matter in terms of who's going to have the number one pick in the draft as these teams are fighting for some of the worst records that you'll see in the, in the, in the NFL. Arizona is right there. The Giants are right there at two and seven. The Patriots are right there as well. So they are in a position where you've got, you know, you're fighting for the, amongst the worst of the worst to be the worst. But also if you play, if you have a very good team, Let's say you, you take the Dallas Cowboys or you take the uh, Detroit Lions and you play them against one of these opponents on a primetime game. One, you might see an upset. Two, you get a better look at teams you're going to be more familiar with as the season moves down the line. But you have to put up with a potential bad matchup for two games. But you might not get that. You might get a competitive game. You might get a game where... You know, like like Arizona did to Dallas or, you know, sometimes you see a bad team beat a good team. I think tonight is one of those games where at the beginning of the season, I think they were thinking of it from the standpoint of, hey, you know what? The Bears are are a good draw. They're in Chicago and Carolina. Bryce Young and these rookie quarterbacks might be a story. And you don't flex out Thursday night games. So you, you, you slip it on primetime and go from there. Carolina had to play at some point. Very unlikely they were going to play on a Monday night. Sunday night games are just too valuable of a, of a, of a commodity. I, I, I tell you, there's nothing worse. That's why I'm so glad flexing is in place on Sundays. Because, man, there is nothing worse when the schedule, uh, when you get late in the season and the, the, the Sunday night game is a game where the chips didn't fall in the right place. Like, you really did think that maybe the, you know, 
Buccaneers Green Bay game was going to be a really big deal. And then they get there and it's like, eh, stupid. Yeah, dumb us. And they can flex out of that. So what is there tonight then? Well, not much. Really isn't. I mean, there, there really isn't. I mean, I'm looking to see Bryce Young get a little bit better as the season goes on. I don't fault him for being bad. He's on a very bad team. And I don't think it's fair to look at C.J. Stroud and say, wow, this is the way Bryce Young should be playing. People need to realize what C.J. Stroud is doing is actually an anomaly to how rookie quarterbacks perform in the NFL. I mean, I tell you right now, Peyton Manning is probably like, I'm glad I wasn't judged on the C.J. Stroud standard when I was a rookie. You go through all the rookies, guys who have even made it. They probably all say the same thing. Stroud is having a rookie season at quarterback that's putting him in the MVP conversation. Like, I've never, I've never thought I would ever utter that phrase, let alone think about it. What rookie quarterback would ever come in this league and have that kind of impact? Even quarterbacks we know are built to play in the NFL, like a Trevor Lawrence, like an Andrew Luck. Even those guys, you didn't expect to see a turnaround. And I think most of us are smart when it comes to getting a rookie quarterback. I know I was with uh, Kenny Pickett, and I do remember Ben Roethlisberger in his rookie season. They went 15-1, and but that was a great Steeler team around him. Most of the time, when you have a high-profile quarterback, it's because you are lousy. This isn't a rookie quarterback like Mac Jones getting the Patriots to the playoffs because it worked out on a pretty good roster. Like, this is different. This is, this is bad football teams drafting guys to change the franchise later down the road. The Carolina Panthers were terrible, drafted Bryce Young. The Houston Texans were terrible. They got C.J. Stroud. The Indianapolis Colts moved out to get Anthony Richardson. They need a quarterback, right? So in, in a lot of respects... What C.J. Stroud has been able to do this year is should be not only enjoyed by the Houston Texan fans and the city, it should be something that you're not going to see very much of again. If anything, guys are less prepared to make the transition from college to the pros than they've ever had before. You have to go back and really remind people that Terry Bradshaw, for example, was atrocious in his rookie season. And Peyton Manning set the NFL record for rookie interceptions in his first year in the NFL. But as he said, and we've repeated, you're unlikely to see that broken because rookie quarterbacks don't even be, they're not even allowed to play 16, 17 games unless the franchise is really committed to that. And Carolina seems to be that way. You know, sometimes we want to coddle rookie QBs. Put them behind a veteran. Wait it out a little bit. The Steelers tried to do it. They tried to do it twice. They did, with, Brent, with Ben Roethlisberger, Tommy Maddox was the starter. Then Maddox got hurt in week two. Ben Roethlisberger's legacy began. Kenny Pickett, they had Mitch Trubisky started. Then Mitch Trubisky got hurt. It always seems to play out that way, doesn't it? Oh, go to the Chargers. All the time. You know, Justin Herbert drafted the next surefire thing. Now nah, we'll go with Terod Taylor first. Yep. And then, whoops, right in the old lung. <laughs> Same thing with Will Levis in Tennessee. Yeah. Everybody was like, Will Levis, Will Levis. Maybe you should start Will Levis. Yeah, well, we got Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Tannehill gets hurt. Levis is now the starter no, all no. the way through to the end of the but season. But even first, it was more like, oh, but, you know, that Malik Willis kid, let's give him yeah, another let's shot. Give him a shot. 
And so a lot of times these teams that protect this rookie quarterback without throwing them to the fire from day one, it's almost inevitable that at some point they're going to be the starter anyway. So you might as well jump into it. And plus, fan bases, and I think we're smart. I hope we're smart. We, antici- we don't anticipate a, a huge breakthrough, I didn't see this coming kind of performance. The Texans are four and four. Let's say they were two and six, but Stroud was good. That you could tell they were good, but he wasn't good enough to win, you know, four or five games, but he was good. You'd be happy with that if you were a Texans fan. So look, I didn't expect to make the playoffs. We've got a rookie quarterback, but man, he's showing progress. He's not making huge mistakes. He's not embarrassing himself. Like he's playing pretty well. They just, they just got a lot of things wrong with them. And you know, I, they're two and six. So what? But now they're four and four. It's a whole different conversation. If you're four and four in a league where offense is down and all of a sudden you're like, well, no one's really escaping from the pack here. We don't have five or six teams that are really awesome in the AFC. I mean, think about this. They're a half game behind Buffalo. The Bills are five and four. That's like, like, and again, here's the thing. They are, they're the same record as the Jets. Now at the beginning of the season, you would not have made that prediction. You would have expected Aaron Rodgers to win a bunch of games with the Jets. The Jets be one of the better teams in the league. But that's this where we are right now at the halfway point. They're in as much of a conversation at four and four than Jets fans, than Charger fans, Raider fans, anybody that's hovering around that 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 record. Everybody in the AFC North who's got five wins behind Baltimore. That's that's all that's all in the relative uh, same swimming pool as terms of your playoff hopes. If you're Carolina tonight, what you're playing to see better growth on your team. Well, how long does that last before you start going with players going, man, I'm doing this every week. And by the time this kid gets good, I might not even be on this team. I might be out of the league. And the Bears, yeah, we'll see the other, we'll see the Tyson Baggett show again tonight. Maybe they won't wax so poetically about him. Is it the uh, curtain call? Of, 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 of yeah, Tyson Baggett. Yeah, that's probably it because he because the status was he's ready, but he's not going to play. From Matt Eberflus was Fields is our he, he probably could play, but he's not going to play Thursday. Too short of a week. Yeah, so it's likely that he'll play against Detroit uh, the next the week ten a week eleven game. He'll probably play in that one. So yeah, Tyson Baggett, get get to know him, kids, because you might not see him again. You might, you know, you'll remember this era of Shepherd, West Virginia, and the glory that he brought that small community by delivering a uh, NFL uh, existence. What a story! When's Disney signing him up for those for some goofy little, uh, goofy <laughs> little movie with bad dialogue and acting? Uh, soon. Soon, yeah. I can't wait to see. Does it, maybe his dad plays himself? Maybe his dad plays himself. Because I've seen him in a few inter- interviews. He's uh, he's animated. Yeah. The actor going, nobody believed in me, coach, but I believed in myself. And that'll be the big tagline. So Carolina and Chicago tonight, your Thursday night football. I'm sure Al Michaels is just dripping with anticipation to come out of this one. All right, we'll continue. It's Wake Up Call on Twitter, at Tony D Radio, at Ron Culver. That's Ron with two ends. Yeah, uh-huh. you know what it is. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow.
tuned to Wake Up Call on the Sports Math Radio Network. Alongside Ron Culver, here's Tony D. Throwback Thursday, 2011. This was the night that Joe Paterno said he would resign, and then 12 hours later, the Board of Trustees of Penn State said, no, actually, you're fired. You know what I remember most about this song in 2011? Boston Bruins Parade. Okay. They won the cup, and they yeah, played no, this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So. I thought you were going to tell me something Steelers. No, I wish. I wish the Steelers were, you know, utilizing this song. But they they prefer black and gold, I guess. Yeah. So, nevertheless. All right. Um, this Throwback Thursday is really interesting because we, we do a lot of Throwback Thursdays where we do stories that are cool and we like to go back in time and remember. And this was not one of them. This was sort of a dark moment in sports. It was a, a moment of where you had different things coming together um, to create one of the more um, probably prominent fall from graces that we've ever seen from an athletic perspective, you know, just keeping it in the sports world, forget actors or politics or whatever, just in the sports world, probably one of the greatest fall from graces we've seen. You know, we've seen, we've seen players do things to themselves, right? We've seen players get involved in drugs or whatever. And, some have tragically taken their own lives. And, you know, they had once had glory and then didn't have glory anymore, got taken away. We've seen athletes like O.J. Simpson be celebrated on every level that you could be celebrated from not only sports, but to entertainment, to movies, to broadcasting, to just being a general celebrity in a town full of celebrities. And then uh, a few years later, he's he's in a courtroom fighting for his life on these double murder trials. But But Joe Paterno's story is a bit different because Joe Paterno's story came, it, 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 it all was coming together on a serious, serious situation, an almost unthinkable situation, an almost a, a, a situation that would make you angry, sad, of the abuse of young children at the hands of his defensive coordinator, Jerry Sandusky. And what he knew and what he didn't know and how he wanted to handle it and how he didn't want to handle it became part of Joe Paterno's downfall. And to a lot of people, Joe Paterno's inaction on this, his inability to get to the proper authorities within the university and even outside of it to pass on the information that he knew and then therefore almost forgetting about it, if you will, he became almost a as as despised as Jerry Sandusky. And that always seems to be the case too, right? That we will hate the perpetrator, but we also really hate the people that aided the perpetrator by staying silent. And in Joe Paterno's case, that became as much of his legacy as his 409 victories. It became almost as big to his legacy as every player that had ever gone through his program and made it to the NFL and became prominent citizens and have done great things with their lives and have learned lessons of life through Joe Paterno all pushed aside because the crime of Jerry Sandusky was so big and so emotional and so impactful that when we, our anger couldn't just be contained at him. Our disgust could not be contained just within Jerry Sandusky. It had to bleed out somewhere. It overflowed. Where would it overflow to? It had to overflow to Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno wasn't controversial. 
He wasn't Bob Knight. He didn't, he didn't, there wasn't something you had to take with Joe Paterno to appreciate his brilliance. We talked about this with the late Bobby Knight. You could love his basketball mind, but you had to put up with his temper. You could love his ability to graduate his players, but you had to put up with the fact that he was very rude to a lot of people. And, but Joe Paterno didn't carry himself that way. That's not the way Joe Paterno was. Joe Paterno was a fiery coach. He was a really good coach. So good that at one point, again, he held the record for most wins. But he also, as he got older, became a lovable coach up until this Sandusky situation. I can remember in 1987 when Miami went to play Penn State for the national championship. Miami was coming off the planes in combat fatigues. They were led by... Jimmy Johnson, they were like Vinny Testaverde at quarterback. There was a lot of bravado to the Miami Hurricanes. They were the U. They were playing Penn State, linebacker university. And they played this incredibly defensive game that really eliminated, just took Testaverde out of the game. The explosiveness of the Miami Hurricanes was well nullified in that contest. And Penn State would win the national championship. And it was just a celebratory atmosphere because it was Good old Joe Paterno. What are you going to do? Yeah, we're playing Miami. Everybody loses to Miami, but not us. And as the years, even those years would, you know, tick away. And there was another one. They shared a national title one year in the early nineties. And even as, as, as the years would, you know, you know, tick away and, 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 could, and just pile up and pile up and pile up. Paterno became even more beloved. Remember at the time uh, of his resignation, then firing, he was 85 years old. Right. I mean, that's a long time to be doing something in the same spot, in the same place, in the same house, in the same office building, with the same stadium, although renovated at the same school with the same people. It, 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 he became such an icon in sports that you didn't think this mountain is too big for, for, for anything to topple it. And then there was something that toppled it. There was not only something that toppled it, but it was a big deal that it got toppled. It was a big problem. He didn't say anything. This throwback Thursday is one of the more interesting things because when we think of when we think of people falling from grace, right? When we think of people athletes and figures who fell, usually it's in a context of something we could have fun with, but sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's somebody getting involved in criminal activity. Sometimes it's somebody who's gotten into an addiction that just ruined their lives. And sometimes it's situations like this where you don't say something to something so horrific. A lot of times it's, you know, a player just starts to not play very well and gets a little, or coach not coaching well or whatever. But when we talk about falls in sports, I'm trying to think of a bigger one than Joe Paterno. And I can't think of one. I can't think of one. That was, that was an awful, awful period of time. It was bad for college football. I remember it was like, who was going to be the guy that followed this? Like, who was going to be the, the guy that was going to clean it up? It ended up being Bill O'Brien. But who was going to be the guy that was going to make this mess, make Penn State reparable again? O'Brien tried and then left, but James Franklin was the one from Vanderbilt that went there. Um, 2014, I think it was about, about that right about that year, 2015 maybe, when he went over to Penn State from Vanderbilt. And his responsibility has been to bring Penn State back up, and I think he's done a very good job of that. But if you're a Penn State fan, if you're an old Penn State fan, 
it's it's interesting. Where do you put? How do you think about Paterno to these days? It's such a wild throwback Thursday. We had a number of different ones to choose from. Some were more fun, but yeah, the, this was the the biggest. This was the this biggest was a big story. Thursday we is, had the statue still the statue still gone right. I yes yeah he believes yeah. There's gonna be a moment. I I don't know when. I wonder if there's ever gonna be a moment where they will reconcile the two. Like, will they come to terms with Paterno's legacy? I don't know. It's too serious of a situation. Like, we're not talking about a guy that fell because of a scandal, like in recruiting. Right. You know what I mean? Like, where you could forgive, or he he was he was addicted to something and it cost him his job and he got help and, you know, then passed away and you go, yeah, man, he deal, he dealt with some personal demons, man. He was really hooked on, you know, cocaine or whatever it was or whatever. And he really did so much damage to himself, but man, he won a lot of football games here. He just was, he just couldn't kill that demon. This is something completely different. So I have an answer to your question from uh watchmojo.com. Okay. Because uh, uh, honestly, they they uh, Joe Paterno's not even in their top ten of fall from grace of fall from grace in Interesting. sports. So number one being OJ. Well, that would probably be it. Yeah. Number two, Oscar Pistorius. Yeah. Remember Blade Runner? Yeah, murdering his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, Pete Rose. Pete Rose, yes. About four, Lance Armstrong. Good point. Five, Ben Johnson. Eh, not really. Not really. Six, Marion Jones, kind of under the same thing. Same thing. But see, number seven, I think should be higher. But maybe it's because he found success later on as well. Yeah. Tiger Woods. I wouldn't even put Tiger Woods higher. That I don't think that it, I I don't I think people laughed off a lot of that stuff. The sex addiction. The yeah. Divorce? No, I'm just I'm saying, you know, from what happened in that November. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But but then but rounding get, out the top 10 was number 8 Tanya you know what? Harding. We're going to let's let's talk about the, we're going to talk to Dan Bonner some college football. I yeah. want to bring that up again. College basketball. College basketball. I want to bring that up again cuz that's a very interesting list. It's making me re- rethink, but I still want to know in the context of Joe Paterno's life what he had and what was taken away. That's a great I don't, I don't list. know if anyone's had it worse. Let's talk about that, because that's a good list. That's a really good list. All right, we'll talk to Dan Bonner. College Hoops got underway this week. Late. This is Wake Up Call on the SportsMath Radio Network. Alongside Ron Culver, here's Tony D. All right, heading out to the Progressive Guest Line. Progressive Insurance, round out your protection with life, phone, and pet health insurance. Dan Bonner, 46 years, broadcasting with CBS Sports ACC Network, covering college basketball. That got underway this week as we head into not only games, but we've got all sorts of those tournaments that come up this time of year. Dan Bonner joining us on the Progressive Guest Line. How are you, Dan? Good, fine, thank you, Tony. How are you? Good. Hey, I was going to ask right off the bat, do you find uh, the state of college basketball now with transfer portal and rosters changing and all that more exciting, or is there something wrong with more sort of not wrong, but so different it's almost detrimental to the sport? I don't know that it's detrimental to the sport, and to be perfectly honest with you, we're still the transfer porter, the NIL, all that stuff is still shaking out, and I think it'll be a couple of years before we definitively know 
what the exact shape will be. Certainly it's interesting. Uh, you know, it's different than before. Before you could say, okay, these it's, you know, like Major League Baseball. Uh, when I was growing up, I could tell you who was on every team, and now I can't tell you hardly who's on any team right. because everybody moves around so much. And so it's just different. I don't know whether it's better or worse, but it's different. It certainly gives you an opportunity to retool your entire roster and go from being not very good to really good in one year. And I think it's, you know, in that respect, it's probably exciting for a lot of fans. Well, you're with the ACC network as well. So let's start there. How does the ACC look? We know that, that at the top can be excellent. Is the middle good? Uh, and that's, that's a question that's, that's where the ACC has struggled in the last couple of years. And so that is, that is the question. Uh, and the interesting thing for me will be to see how the teams in the middle of the pack and down toward the bottom of the conference perform in the non-conference part of the schedule. Because the reason that the ACC over the last couple of years has had a bad reputation is because their teams did not perform in the non-conference part of the schedule. So by the time they got into conference play, where they played no one else except teams in the conference, everybody's net was so bad that you couldn't make up the ground that you lost. And that's important because people are talking about how many quad one wins do you have? How many quad two wins do you have? Uh, And they don't want you to play quad three and four games. But if you're the ACC of the last two years, the teams at the bottom of your league are all quad three and four. And it's just very difficult to make up ground if you're looking for an at-large bid to the tournament. So that's the $64 question. How's NC State going to be? How's Syracuse going to be? How's Boston College going to be? Florida State, teams like that. Uh, If they have good seasons in the preseason, uh, excuse me, in the non-conference season, and everybody's net is pretty good going into the conference schedule, and everybody will be talking about how the ACC is pretty good again. I know some people don't like preseason polls. Others use it as sort of a basic primer just to get an idea of who's decent and where the experts see decency. But Florida Atlantic is in the top ten. Take that for what it is. But that's some juice coming off a Final Four run. Sometimes teams do that and you don't hear from them again. What, what, how do you perceive the Owls? That's a very interesting question. You know, they've got basically everybody back. Uh, and so you would expect that based on their performance last year, that they would have a very good season. And remember, they're not one of these teams that came from nowhere to win their conference tournament championship and then got hot in the NCAA tournament. They had a great year last year. So because of that, I expect them to have a really good year this year. Now, does that mean they're going to go to the Final Four? You know, it's way too early to talk about stuff like that. And all you have to do as an object lesson is look at the University of North Carolina last year. Consensus, preseason number one. They didn't even make the tournament. I want to talk about Duke and John Shire because he's, that, team, that school still gets into the news. They're picking up great recruits. It's almost like the machine continues on with John Shire. What have you, what, what is, he, how, is he similar in a way to Mike Krzyzewski in recruiting? How different is he? How, is, how do you see the two in, in, in taking over for such a legendary coach? First of all, it's hard to take over for somebody like Mike Krzyzewski. I mean, you always want to be the guy who follows the guy who right. follows the And John Shire in his first year, I thought that uh, I thought Duke made a really good choice in hiring him because he was, I mean, Duke's recruiting all these guys over the last few years, and John Shire had a hand in that. 
and John Shire had a relationship with the uh, top players who were coming in. And so I think John Shire and his staff are very good recruiters. I think obviously Duke is still uh, one of the uh, marquee names in college basketball. And John Shire impressed me with his, uh, his approach, his demeanor, everything about him. And so it's, it's obviously it's hard to replace a guy like Mike Krzyzewski, but, you know, John Shire was part of that whole thing the whole time, and I don't think the recruiting is going to fall off just because he's in charge of it now. How do you see the SEC? I know over the last few decades they put a lot of money into basketball facilities, getting good coaches, getting good players. They've got a school like Alabama now ranked and, and one of the teams last year that was a number one seed. Rick Barnes is doing good things at Tennessee. But how do you see the SEC? Well, I mean, we're talking about preseason polls, and that's really all we have to go on right at the moment. Uh, uh, but you look at, you know, through the polls, uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M, Texas, Mississippi State. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're really well represented. So I think the SEC has been a very good basketball league for a while now. Uh, it used to be just Kentucky and everybody else, but that hasn't been the case for a long, long time. Uh, and I, I think there's some really, really good teams. That's going to be one heck of a conference. They, like the ACC has over the last couple of years, may suffer, you know, some of the teams down. That, like the ACC, they've got 37 teams in their league. Uh, and so some of the teams that aren't at the top of the league, uh, you know, that, that may hurt some of the teams who are at the bottom, may hurt some of the teams who are at the top if they don't perform well. Do you have any teams that you've you've been watching, whether it was last year or going into this year, that you're kind of high on, a team that maybe, not necessarily under the radar, that's kind of the overused term, but a team that you're saying, you know, I'm very curious about how this player or this coach and that conference, how that all shapes out for that particular school? That's an interesting question, too, because I think there's a lot of them out there. And, you know, you mentioned I spend a lot of my time in the ACC, so I'll start there for you. Sure. I think that Last year, the Clemson Tigers had a really good year. Uh, you know, they won 14 games in the conference. Uh, they won more than 20 games overall, but they got caught up in this uh, uh, quad one, quad two business, and they didn't make the NCAA tournament. But I think that they have one of the most underrated players in the country in P.J. Hall. Uh, I think they have, and that, that, you know, Joe Girard transferred in from Syracuse, and it's not like we don't know everything about Joe Girard. You know, he can play. So they return a lot of good young players, and P.J. Hall is back, and Joe Girard is there. So I think Clemson is a team that, you know, they didn't make any of the preseason polls. Nobody's really talking about them. You know, they don't play some sort of exciting style. Uh, but I think they're a team, I think they're a team that's going to be heard from. Uh, and when we're talking about style, let's stay in the SEC for a minute. I think Missouri, you know, just with the way they play, uh, you know, they're, they lost a lot and they've, they've got a lot to replace, but they like to shoot the three. They play aggressively. They play an exciting form of basketball. And so I think they're a team that could have a little more success than people are thinking they might. Dan Bonner, CBS Sports, ACC Network, 46 years of covering this sport. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us, giving us a little primer on the season. Well, thanks for the invitation. You have a good day. You too. Dan Bonner joining us, talk some college basketball. Again, talking about this, it's it's very – this is a time of year, again, it, it's – 
college, I think college basketball does one of the things it does right is that it, it, it presents itself in the time, a very, very busy time, right? There's always there's football going on. There's college football heating up. You're getting to the end of the season. And then college basketball comes in and goes, hey, you know what? hanging around here, and then we're going to go into these fun kind of tournaments. We're going to be all over the place. We're going to have a couple of teams over here, a couple of teams over here, a couple of teams over here, and we're going to kind of bounce it around a little bit. So you might be catching a, a late game out west, for example, part of a Las Vegas tournament or part of the Maui Invitational or whatnot, and it gives a little bit more spice to a sport that is going to be buried under the lead of the NFL and, and, and college football, and even a little bit of the NBA, because it doesn't really get sparked up until conference play. But what it does in its non-conference games goes, hey, you know what? Your team's playing in the battle for Atlantis. Your school is playing at this tournament in Madison Square Garden. You know what? They got a bunch of teams going to play at the Palestra in Philadelphia, and they're part of that tournament. Or maybe they're out in, in Dallas playing in a tournament there. And that's where you can get really interested because it's it's short, it's concise. You can got you get a tournament feel like, hey, you know what? Maybe we will we'll win the Valvoline Shootout in uh, Las Vegas or the Cooper's Tires um, Orange Bowl Classic down in Miami. Those are the kind of things that happen on these schedules. You know, like I, I you can when I, I always look to see where my school's going. Like, are they going anywhere cool? Like for a tournament? Are they going to go to Hawaii? Are they going to go to play in the Bahamas? Are they going to go to play? Because I know in that period of time, I can watch them in a small tournament setting rather than just another game, another win, another loss, whatever it is, and then they go on to play somebody else. I I like that college basketball does that. All right, coming back, a conversation that we had earlier about the athletes who have fallen from grace a bit on our Throwback Thursday. not working hard. Yeah, right. Picture that with a Kodak. Or better yet, go to Times Square. Take a picture of me with a Kodak. Took my life from negative to positive. I just want you to know that. And tonight, let's enjoy life. Pitbull, Nia, Neo. That's right. Wake up call with Tony D and Ron Culver continues now on the Sports Map Radio Network. Here's Tony D and Ron Culver. Again, 2011 on a throwback Thursday. We were talking about the fall from grace because today is the anniversary of Joe Paterno's red. Well, Joe Paterno announcing he would resign, but then being fired from Penn State. So we started talking about the fall from grace where an athlete or a sports figure had something so high, something on a pedestal so high, and it was it was taken away from them by their own actions and how the public perceived them. Before we do that, you've probably tried some pain relief creams, but most of them barely work, if at all. So you're ready to try something completely different. I found it. It's called Capsiva. Capsiva, scientific breakthrough in joint pain relief, capturing the medicinal power of capsaicin while eliminating the burn and the smell. Capsiva absorbs fast, has no odor, and it works. It's homeopathic, all natural and active ingredients. It is a use-it-all, 100% money-back guarantee. This is great. You can use the entire thing, and if you just don't like it for whatever reason, you're not satisfied, you can send it back and get a full refund. Capsiva has no known side effects, no known drug interactions, so it's safe to take with your other medications. Like a lot of another, the other pain creams can't really say that. So stop living in pain. Get Capsiva now. Find it at Meyer Kroger Pharmacy, and select CVS stores. All right, so this list that you found is really, really fascinating. It's had me rethinking a couple things. So yeah. we started with OJ. That was that was number one according to this list. But you and even you and I were talking about. It's like, well, you know, maybe move shuffle some things around. Here's here's where I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm willing to move Joe Paterno on top of the list. But here is where 
I'm I'm going to I'm going to draw the line with some of these people. And that is this, if you have a chance for redemption and you get it, I'm going to put you behind <laughs> Joe Paterno. Maybe it should be revised. You know what I mean? Like I I am not going to have like Tiger Woods went from Whoa, scandal, divorce, cheating right. on his wife. And then we thought his master's victory was one of the greatest sports moments of 2019, right? Like him winning the master's again, thrilled everybody. So there was a redemption. I'll even go as far as to say the more podcasts and the more open Lance Armstrong is, the more he will get redemption. We are a forgiving True. society. And in the end, if you didn't hurt anybody, you just cheated, you did some things wrong. Pete Rose, the same thing. Pete Rose did fall. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He's never getting in the Hall of Fame in his lifetime. He's never going in. And yet, when he shows up, people cheer him. They cheer him. But Joe Paterno is dead, and he died months after this, situ- this what, what happened here. Right. Now, he died from lung cancer. People say he died of a broken heart. That's not really a diagnosis. <laughs> I can't vouch for the scientific validity of that richard dreyfus uh, lived a long happy life he wasn't eaten by he almost got eaten by a shark with a broken heart that's true with a broken heart that's right (laughs) so the same kind of thing right it's like um but same thing like bear bryant passed away six months after he retired like some people they lose that identity they lose everything well this one i mean you know as opposed to bear bryant you know this was i mean for joe paterno i mean that was everything there should have been a gigantic funeral parade for him. I don't know if there was. I, I don't remember either. When he was, but I know that if you watch video of Bear Bryant, there are people lined up on the streets. Like they stopped the cars and lined up on the streets as it was going to the cemetery. Like people were crying. Like the state shut down to remember Bear Bryant. And Joe Paterno should have had that. And I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I'm not sure. I, I, I'll have to like look that up later. But um, so OJ... And Oscar Pistorius, I, I will say that seemed more of an international story than an American story. Yeah. That's fine. I'll put that there. I think we all remember it, but I don't know if it's number two. He's in jail for murdering a, a woman. Yeah, but not for life. Not for life. It was a weird. That was a weird case. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a South African. Didn't he? Didn't he didn't it, wasn't his defense he thought there was a burglar? He, the, he thought she was a burglar. And he just fired away yeah. not knowing who it was. And then she it was her. Yep. But then they were like, no, 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 no. He meant to murder that girl. That's, that was the argument. Yeah, like there was no murder. But I think, I think, he, I think he did get away with, well, I guess it was that considered involuntary manslaughter, like, like manslaughter accidental yeah. shooting. I don't know. Yeah. Now, I will say um, uh, Marion Jones and Ben, ben Johnson, Johnson. Kind of the same. They're the same, and you kind of go, yeah, but it's track and field. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, like. Like, not that it's a disparity on track and field. It's like they lived in a culture where everybody was like, you better be figuring out a way. Well, to I don't even look. I, I don't look. I, th- maybe this is just me, but I, I don't really think Marion Jones and Balco in the same line. Right. Marion Jones and Dobie. I do with Ben Johnson because I remember that being a huge story. That was a big and, deal. And I think that had more to do with the fact that it was somebody from another country. You took a gold medal from Carl Lewis. Yeah, but I also think too he set the world record. Yeah, and so he reached a he reached a four minute mile to use a phrase in the hundred meter dash. He got a he got like was it nine eight or something yeah, nine he, seven? It was a mark that people didn't think they'd ever see, and he got it. And then people went, 
Oh my God. I remember it was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, he was the, and the number was on the cover. It was huge. It was huge, huge, huge. And then to find out he failed a drug test, it went from a monumental achievement, not just a gold medal, just a world record, cross that, cross that threshold that you didn't think you'd be able to see somebody do. And then here comes the scandal. And the scandal soon followed. It was too good to be true. And it happened in a very, very short amount of time. So it was celebratory, boom, done. At least with Lance Armstrong, people were like telling us, he's doping. No, he's not. Shut up. No, he's doping. You'll see. No, he's not. Leave us alone. And I will still say that, I mean, yeah, you know, with the podcast, you, you know, television appearances, radio appearances, you know, he might rise above it again. But... I remember that just really that to me is a bigger fall from grace just because we all had the yellow yeah, but bracelets. What, so what's wrong with the, let's go back to that for a second. So what what did he do that made the yellow bracelets? I no um, that's a that's a great he question. Cancer. Right. He beat cancer. He beat like cancer. End, he was trying it... to raise awareness for cancer. But I guess everyone you, associated did, those did you, yellow bracelets get, with Did we get the yellow wristbands because we were watching the Tour de France every summer? We were watching it because he was winning the Tour de France, beating cancer. Right. Which, by the way, since he's not dead, he's beating cancer. Yes. So he's still doing that. So he can still at least go, hey, listen, I cheated in a sport that was rippling with cheating. Yeah. Okay, like, like I'm not the only one, but at the same time, it's no excuse. But let's not pretend like I... I, 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 that I was alone in this. <laughs> I may have beaten other cheaters. Let's just get yeah, that. Straight. And that's a very real, real valid point right? because, you know, yeah, he cheated in his sport. He, and he, you know, we can, I guess, spin and say he cheated cancer. Right. But he beat cancer. But he beat cancer. He and, and, beat cancer. and that's still something for us to go, you know, you were raising awareness that entire time. Sure, right. you were, you know, doping in a sport that we only care about but for let, a month. Let's say Joe Paterno. And it, in him being still alive, he'd be like a hundred. But right. let's say Joe Paterno was still alive, and he was eighty, like he was ninety. Would we go? Oh, it's okay, Joe. It really didn't hurt anybody. Like in the end, my life wasn't like he didn't tell authorities about sexual abuse of kids. Yeah, right, I got I got three more for you. Okay, two two. I'm just gonna go really quick. Uh, on this uh, top ten list, one is Tanya Harding. Yeah, <laughs> I love that one. But again, I don't. I wouldn't say that's better or no. a bigger fall from grace than Joe. And the other, and there's another one, Roger Clemens. Clemens, but yeah. funny enough, Barry Bonds is not in this Weird. on this list because we knew from like we knew it all along, right? Like, with other people, we were like, oh, but what? number nine, yes. number nine is is very much similar to like say Tiger or to. Uh, uh, well, I would just, I'm just going to say Tiger because it was a huge fall from grace, but there is a redemption story attached to it. And number nine on this list is Michael Vick. Michael Vick, yeah. Michael Vick. But there is a, there is a huge redemption. He's on, he's on television now, isn't he? he doesn't is he, he still uh, do TV? Or I he, think so. I mean, he might not do it anymore, but he was doing Right, but I'm just saying, work. you know, he, he did his time. Then he came back and he was seemingly, you know, a better quarterback than he was before. He he earned two hundred million dollar contracts right. before prison and after prison. Like he, you're right. He, I remember people being so mad at Michael Vick, like 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 furious at Michael Vick for that. And people still, even after he got oh, out yeah. of jail and he was with the Eagles and they were protesting outside the stadium. 
And I remember thinking, like, there's probably still people wanted... today that are upset with it. Yeah, oh, doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, you know, because he was doing. I mean, story. I mean, it's something similar that Joe Paterno was doing. You know, just ignoring the fact that they're you know defenseless, uh, defenseless animals, beings. You know, and you're ignoring them. Yeah, dog fighting ring. Yeah, killing dogs, burying your dogs in the backyard of your of your property. Yeah, it's just Joe Paterno went from decades and decades and decades of being a well-known, unbelievable football coach, and in the blink of an eye, that story went. He's a he's awful. He's a terrible human being. He's as guilty as Jerry Sandusky, which was a little too far. But nevertheless, fired and then died like three months later.